So if you've been with us, you know what we do here. We work through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We happen to be in the book of Acts right now. We are at Acts 16, verse 16 today. We kind of took it at a weird break. But it's kind of an awesome section to me. Because as I studied it more and more, the common word that came up here in this section, we're going 16 to the end of chapter 16, and it really is all about deliverance. We see the deliverance of a slave girl, see the deliverance of a Philippian jailer, and we see the deliverance of Paul and Silas. Deliverance was the word that the Lord kept laying upon my heart. And I'll tell you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, you need to be delivered from sin, from death, from the shame of sin, and all those things, the Lord Jesus is faithful to deliver you. Amen? Now, for those of us that trust in Jesus, praise the Lord for that, but I think this is a sample text to show us that, man, the Lord is faithful to preserve His people. He's faithful to preserve His church. He's faithful that when you go out and preach the Word, simply preach the Gospel to all people. And it's incredible what the Lord can do. The Lord will bring revival through the teaching of His Word. Amen? And I'll tell you, so many people, again, I mention this all the time, people want a model, they want a method, they want a man-made system on how to grow a church, on how to do things, and I'm sure they're out there, I'm sure you can buy them. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I'm a marketing guy, I, I feel like I should study demographics, you know what I do? We just teach the Word of God. Amen. And that's always been the model for the guys that were before me as well. I think you guys know, if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, just a man, but a man that did a really cool thing, he went out and taught the Word of God. And it was so cool because I don't think he intended to plant thousands of churches accidentally, right? <laughs> but here we are, all these churches, it's the work of the Lord because the Word was taught, amen? And all the guys that I have known in that Calvary system, there's other churches out there that do it as well, but I, I'm familiar with Calvary, that's my flavor, right? That's what I do. And these guys, as they go out and teach the Word, the same thing keeps happening. People get delivered from the consequences of sin and death because they put their trust in Jesus Christ. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Ah, you guys are done. I'm leaving. You guys know what's happening here. All right. Let's look first at the deliverance of a slave girl. We're looking at verse 16 through 18 of Acts 16. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. I love this. But Paul, greatly annoyed, <laughs> turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. <laughs> Welcome to church. Demon possession. That's cool. What a way to start, right? No funny little story. We just go right into it. And it's incredible. We see Paul exercising this de demonic spirit but remember where we're at here. We're in the city of Philippi. We looked at it last week. We're on this, this second missionary journey of Paul. He's in what would we call what modern-day Greece, I believe, is basically the area he's in. The city of Philippi is a very Gentile place. It's a Roman colony. So that meant, we talked about last week, it was populated by Rome. They would put their soldiers there, their active soldiers. They'd put retired veterans there. They'd put their poor that needed government assistance in these places. So you had a lot of Roman control, Roman influence, and a lot of Gentiles, right? So we keep that in mind. There wasn't even a synagogue there. There weren't even 10 faithful Jewish men to begin a synagogue in this place. And last week it said, I believe it was Acts 16, 13, that the women, the Jewish women there, they met at the riverside, right? And so when it says that they're headed to prayer, they're not headed to a synagogue because there is no synagogue there. 
So as they go there, though, there's this, this girl, this servant girl, that's following them, and it says that she is possessed with a spirit of divination. And see, I look at that and go, okay, what does this mean? We see that she can do, like, fortune-telling, right? That's interesting. I went to the Greek to figure out what these words meant, and it's really interesting. In the Greek, they said what she had, the spirit of divination, was a spirit, a python. I'm like, that's interesting, right? The Greek god, mythological god, false god, right, Apollo, he was associated with pythons. And what it's understood as is that the Greeks there locally said, hey, this girl is able to tell the future because it's a blessing from the god Apollo. <laughs> See, that's pretty scary because I don't know about you guys. There's a lot of people out here today that believe they're blessed in their spiritual, mystical, weird things that they're into. But can I tell you, we find out pretty quickly, this is a demonic, satanic origin, amen? But see, people that didn't know the truth, they were like, man, this is, this is awesome. She could tell the future. And it's funny because we look at this and go, well, I don't know, man. Does this stuff really happen in the Bible? Could people really do this? First of all, I go to the text. I think of it's 1 Samuel. I believe it's 1 Samuel 28, 7. You remember King Saul, when he, I mean, the spirits departed from him. He's a mess. Remember, he wants to talk to Samuel, which I think is wild. Just go talk to the Lord. But he wants to talk to Samuel to get advice on things. <laughs> and he goes to a, a, a soothsayer in a place called Endor, for you Star Wars fans. But he goes to Endor. I tell my kids, like, every, they steal everything from the Bible in that movie, right? So, the force. That's the spirit, dude. Like, so you have this whole thing here where he goes and he seeks out counsel. And she actually conducts a seance where Samuel shows up. Remember that? That was, like, crazy. But can I tell you, at the same token, there's a lot of phony people out there saying they have such power and don't. Can I tell you how to, how to deal with these things? Don't get involved with any of it. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Like if it's a sham or if it's not, man, I'll tell you, it's bad news. There's a God who is eternal and knows all things. Amen? Let's go to Him. Let's be in His Word. Let's be grounded in that. But at some point, this young lady opened herself up to demonic things. We're not told how she got this way, but we are told that she had masters that walked around and made money off of her, like this, this what some people thought was a blessing. It's a curse, right? They exploited this young lady. They walked her around. I think it was David Guzik. And I tell you, this is the, the most strong term I've ever heard. He called her masters occultic pimps. They took her out and said, you have this thing in, in this demonic thing. We're going to make money off of it. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I think there's a lot of that still happening today. And it's amazing. The only answer, the only deliverance can come through the name of Jesus, right? And so it says that, these, that she went out and she actually was crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. See, at first we're like, hey, cool, that's, that's correct, right? That is a correct statement of what Paul and Silas do. Can I tell you, it's a good report from a really bad source. <laughs> no one wants a demon-possessed girl, like, vouching for your ministry, right? <laughs> this is a great ministry. Ah, freaking out, right? You're like, that's no good, right? You should be delivered from these things. She says they're here to show us the way of salvation. There's kind of an inclusion in that statement that sounds like, if you didn't know better, you'd think she's part of the party. She's part of part, Paul's thing, and it says this happened many days. She's always following them. At some point, I love the long-suffering of Paul. Look, he let it happen for a little bit, but at some point, it says that he got annoyed. <laughs> I just love that word, right? It can be troubled. It can mean to work laboriously, like it wore him down. He's like, oh man, this girl's coming again, right? Here she comes up. She's screaming. Now oh, these guys are of God. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't handle it today. Right? I don't know. But I think it's the Lord's timing, right? Everyone in, the, in this place, they knew that this girl, she had this ability and they thought it was something that belonged to the God of Apollo, right? 
man, Paul's going to show that A, this belonged to Satan, and B, his Lord Jesus is stronger than Satan. Amen? Amen. And so in verse 18, again, it says that, that, that he, he gets annoyed by this, right? And he, what he says is, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He's speaking directly to the Spirit. Notice that. <laughs> He's talking directly to the Spirit the same way Jesus did in Mark 1.25. There was an unclean spirit man. And remember what he told the Spirit. He said, be quiet. First of all, authority. You shut your mouth. That's basically what Jesus said to the Spirit. And come out of her. And like that, delivered. Amen? And see, Jesus did this, and it's through his name that this same thing is happening here. And Jesus gave his disciples that, I think it was the exousia authority in Luke 9.1. He said, you can go out and cast out demons and heal, those, and heal people. But it wasn't in their own power, right? It wasn't by their own will. Anyone that wants to tell you, you just have to have enough faith and just like name it, claim it, do these things. That's not true, right? Blab it and grab it. Those aren't things that we practice, right? As the Lord wills, this happened for many days. I think if Paul really, really wanted to, he could, like, like, right? like he would have tried earlier probably, but he knew it wasn't time yet for whatever reason. But man, on that day, in that place, all he says is you come out and man, 1 John 4, 4, right? It says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. <laughs> I love it because he knew to use the name of Jesus. Paul didn't say, I, Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, say get out of her. He didn't say, I, Paul, the guy that was redeemed on the road to Damascus because I'm a good guy, get out of her, right? No. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ. See, it reminds me, I always think anytime we see demonic possession, it reminds me of a story in Acts 19. We're going to get there in a couple weeks. The sons of Sceva, you remember this? Terrifying story. I'll just give you the bridge, the, the bridge version. <laughs> but basically, there was this chief Jewish priest named Sceva. He had a bunch of sons. They thought, well, hey, our dad's real cool and powerful and religious. We can go out and we can be like Ghostbusters or something and go out and like tell demons to leave people. And they go and they show up and in verse, what it was, verse 13 of chapter 19 of Acts, they say, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Too far removed. You don't know Jesus. Don't go out trying to cast out things in Jesus' name, right? Because what happened in that section, man, this is like, terrifying, like better than any Hollywood movie if you're trying to do a scary thing. I don't like scary movies, but you can make one out of this, right? The spirit in this person said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And he whooped them. I mean, he whooped them good. Listen, it says they left naked from the fight. When you go to a fight and you come out without the clothes you took in, you lost that fight, amen? Right? Like that's wild. These guys didn't have the power of Jesus. They thought they could trust in their father's religion. They thought they could trust in their own sake and in Paul's name, but Paul's wise. He says, in the name of Jesus, get out. And it leaves. Amen. Look at verse 19 through 24. We see the, the, the results, the, I guess the rewards of serving the Lord here. Look at verse 19. It says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
You're like, really, Lord? Right? Like, we're just out here doing the work of the Lord. We've delivered this slave girl from this demonic spirit. You would think people would rejoice, right? But did you notice why the masters were angry? They're like, man, this is our profit. Our money. Can I tell you what their God was? It was money. <laughs> right? And money, I'll tell you, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? And many have strayed from the faith, it says in Timothy, right? The fact is you've left the faith in your greediness to chase these things and pierce yourself through many sorrows. Man, these people, their hope was in money. It disappeared. And the evil hearts, these men, they didn't celebrate that this girl was delivered. Again, occultic pimps. They're like, this is our prophet. We don't care about this girl. She means nothing to us now that she doesn't have this ability that brings us money. Again, nothing new under the sun, right? The wicked hearts of man, they operate this way still to this day. Maybe in a different fashion, but very similar. Acts 9.16, remember Ananias was told by God, he said, go and pray over Saul because I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is purely because he exercised demon in the name of Jesus, right? That's what happened here. This is suffering for the name of Jesus. I don't know what your week looked like. <laughs> you might be, man, I suffered at work this week because they just all went quiet when I walked into the break room, right? And I know we've all been there and we all have those things. I think that's about sometimes as bad as we can get it here in America. This guy here... <laughs> Paul and Silas, they're like, they did a miraculous thing. They didn't just like post a scripture on their Facebook or something, right? They showed the power of God in the wicked hearts of men. They said, that's it. We're dragging you to the authorities. <laughs> Man, his suffering for Jesus' name, right? But I love it because we're going to see this is all for a purpose. And in verse 20 and 21, it says they dragged him off. But it's interesting. Remember, on this trip, we had Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. All those guys together, right? Paul and Silas are the only guys that get taken out of this group. And did you note the charges? They say these men being Jews try to put their Jewish practices and thing over us Romans. There's an us versus them. We've talked about this before, right? There's an us versus them complex happening here. And I'll tell you, we know that Timothy last week, remember he had a Greek father, right? Luke is a Gentile. Silas and, and, and Paul, though, these guys look Jewish, so they're like, okay, what are we going to do? Tell them that they delivered a girl from an evil spirit? <laughs> That's not going to hold any water, right? We've got to make this a, a thing of like us versus them. Man, hey, they're coming in and they're trying to make us come under the Jewish practices. And see, that was not allowed in Roman, in Roman heritage, in Roman culture. You could practice your religion, but I'll tell you, a zealous Jew could not come tell a Roman, you have to come under my system. Rome's the best, right? That's their mindset. You don't come under any other system. And how dare you come into our place? Remember, a Roman colony. Think about the, the culture in that place. Very anti-Semitic, right? And so here these guys go. They get dragged out there. They get brought before the magistrates. Those are Roman-appointed leaders of the region. And they decide, how dare they? They tear their clothes. They're so angry, right? Incredible Hulk mode again, right? They're all frustrated. Because <laughs> they're not Jews, right? Jews do that in mornings. I just think it's interesting. The Romans are so angry at this. This is how offended they are. That Jews would suggest that anyone needed to come under their practices. But it's interesting here. These charges, we know that's not really the charges, right? <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Because remember what Paul has been telling Gentiles? You don't need to come under the law. <laughs> That's kind of funny, right? Like, that's crazy. He's literally telling people, no, you can be saved by grace through faith, right? These are whack charges. There was no trial. And yet, Paul's silently going and he's enduring this for the name of Jesus, right? It's not fair. 
But he's enduring it. He's trusting the Lord. We're going to see again. It all comes together. But these men are so mad. It says that they command them to be beaten. The Greek word for beaten is habdizo. It means to be beaten with rods, specifically. They're getting scourged. They're getting beaten here. And I believe that Paul refers to this in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-25 when he talks about the things that he suffered for the name of Jesus. But can I tell you, when Paul wrote those things, it wasn't because he was saying, man, so don't you guys get involved because it's really difficult. <laughs> he wrote about those things saying, man, to God be the glory, amen? That's it. When we endure these things, it's for His glory. And the jailer here is told, hey, keep them very secure. You note in verse 34, it says that he took them into the inner prison cells. Many people think that means the, the, the lower level, the dungeon, right? The darkest, most gross place you could go, usually where they sent people that were set up to be executed. They're awaiting their execution. That's where we're taking you. And it says, right, that they shackled them in wooden stocks. Now, it says they shackled their feet. So we think, like, okay, so they, they, they like, cuffed their feet. But, man, these things were designed to put you in really terrible positions. They would cross your feet one from the other. They would make it very uncomfortable. It was true persecution was happening in this place, right? So keep that in mind. And now we're going to start to see the deliverance of this Philippian jailer. Look at 25 and 26. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. <laughs> I used to live in California. We have a lot of earthquakes. Never heard of a jail shaken so much that the doors open and that people's chains fell off, right? <laughs> This is not a normal earthquake, right? There's something supernatural about this situation, right? Again, an earthquake doesn't have keys to loose. How is this possible? The Lord is interceding here, right? But it's incredible because I don't think it's going where we think it's going. <laughs> you see, these guys, they're here. They're shackled. And I love that verse 25 begins with the word, but. That's a contrast word. Consider the treatment that Paul and Silas just endured right before this section. But at midnight, they prayed and worshipped the Lord. That's not normal behavior when you're getting beat up, right? Oh, the Lord is so good. Thank you for these lashes. <laughs> Thank you for these stripes. Thank you for these shackles. That's not what we do in the flesh, amen? But in the Spirit. Man, see, this opportunity here for these guys, they see it. This is an opportunity to testify who God is even in the valley. See, they are in prison, they're shackled up, and they're singing, they're praying. The prisoners have heard them. And they have to be thinking, these guys are insane. They're in a dungeon. Their feet are shackled in terrible spots. They've been beaten. At one point, the word flayed is used in the Greek. Like the idea of they've been broken open. And here they are. I don't know, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. No, I don't know what they're singing, right? Like, they're probably not singing songs like Matt Redmond songs. But you know what I mean? They're singing like psalms. They're singing things. They're praying. They're rejoicing. And it's crazy to me because it reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. <laughs> and I love it because verse 26 hits and an earthquake comes supernatural earthquake. You're like, this is the Lord. He's delivering Paul and Silas, right? Just like he got Peter and the disciples out of jail. This is it, man, right? Well, it's interesting. The Lord always preserves His people, right? He does it in ways we don't always suspect, though. I think about Daniel. 
Daniel got thrown into a lion's den. He probably thought before he'd get put in the pit that the Lord would deliver him somehow, probably. But he didn't. He got put in the pit. <laughs> and he's probably thinking, well, this is it, huh? But no, he prayed. And what did the Lord do? Sent an angel to keep the mouth shut of the lions, right? That's, I believe, in Daniel 6, 6.22. And then in Daniel 3, remember his buddies? They went into the fire. Fire that was turned, what, seven times hotter than usual? I mean, even the guys throwing them in were catching on fire. But they walk around and there's a fourth person in there. The Lord is in there with them, right? And I love it. The Lord sustained them. He didn't keep them from going into the thing. But He sustained them. And if you remember, whose glory was it for? It's for the Lord. Now, did Daniel and his friends benefit from this? They did at the end. But man, it was not easy, right? They endured it. And man, the kings in those positions, remember their responses? Man, your God is the one true God. Here's Paul and Silas sitting in this Roman jail where they think Apollo is like putting pythons in people or whatever, right? They're all confused about who God is. They think there's thousands and thousands of gods. But yet these guys who have been beaten because they cast out a demonic spirit out of someone have been worshiping the Lord in the middle of the night? Like, that's crazy to me. Like, they, this has been a wild day. Midnight, I don't know, they're not even tired. Like, sleep, man, like, right? Like, get a little bit of sleep. But no, they're just singing. They're worshiping the Lord. And when I hear earthquake, can I tell you an earthquake I think of that really glorified God? It was that earthquake that came when the angel came upon the stone at the tomb. You see, where we talked about how that stone got rolled away with that angel showing up with that earthquake. And what that did is it allowed people to go into the tomb to witness that God is the one true God, that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. I always think that earthquakes, that's the greatest earthquake in my mind. But I think there's a reminder here of, man, the Lord brings earthquakes. Remember, Jesus ain't in the tomb anymore. <laughs> Jesus is alive and well. And I think for these guys, they need a reminder that Jesus is alive and well and working for His glory. And remember, Jesus, it's not that Jesus is on their side. It's that they're on Jesus' side. Amen? Amen. Remember that. God's not on our side in the sense of He has to come to my will. I align with His and I'm blessed for it. Amen? Sometimes we get that confused, right? God doesn't work for us. I work for the Lord. And these guys, they work for the Lord. They're here. But look at 27 and 28. It says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prisoner's doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Peter called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. This is, <laughs> again, we thought the earthquake was going to deliver Paul and Silas. I don't know if this is the first time. Read it with fresh eyes this morning. You think you know that this is a plot twist, right? You're like, this is here to deliver these guys. Run, right? Get out of there now. <laughs> but instead, it says that this jailer, he'd been sleeping. Remember, this is not the practice of a Roman jailer usually. Usually there's guards on call on rotation, right? I think that's pretty odd that this guy's sleeping. I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm just reading too much in that, but I think that's not a good start. If they find out your guys escaped, regardless of this supernatural earthquake, why were you sleeping, right? He's going to be in trouble for that. Secondly, he's assuming that even if he's allowed to be asleep, he thinks all his guys ran out because there's been an earthquake. And the cost of letting your prisoner get away was death in Rome's eyes. You would have to pay the, the, the penalty of whatever they had. He's thinking, and all these prisoners have escaped. I'm going to die. So his logical, in his mind, the logical thing to do is to get a sword out and to commit suicide. Can I tell you, I, this is not in my notes anywhere in here, but anytime, just as a pastor, anytime we come across the word suicide, 
Can I just remind you that that is never the Lord's will for your life? I just want to remind you of that right now. And there may be no one in this room that is battling any kind of thought or oppression of such things. But can I tell you, if you are, you need to reach out to someone in this room. <laughs> if it's not me, someone here that loves the Lord and loves you. Because there's people in this room that love you. Amen? Amen? I have been affected too many times by people that have committed suicide. Whether it be extended family, people in our church body, believe it or not. People that we worked with. People that we know. We don't, that's just not the Lord's will for your life. That is the lie of Satan to tell you the best way out of this is to take yourself out. And see, this man really believed at that moment, I am going to be shamed now because my legacy is going to be the jailer that let everyone escape, right? That's no good. And then they're probably going to torture me for this. It'll be easier just to take myself out. And the heart of Paul, like the heart of Jesus, he cries out and he says, do no harm, we're all here. <laughs> Why, Paul, this guy, these guys have just beaten you. They, this guy shackled you, the very guy that put the shackles on you. You're like, hey, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> Most people would be like, hey, dude, stay quiet till he's done and then we can go, right? I mean, I don't want to be like wicked here, but you know what I mean? But he's a different man. Maybe Saul would have said that who hated Romans. But Paul's a new creation, amen? amen? Paul says, don't do this. This is not what you need to do. He cries out to him, right? <laughs> Think about Jesus in the garden in Luke twenty-two fifty-one. 51. You have a bunch of people there to arrest him, to take him to crucifixion. Peter gets the sword out, man. He hits the guy's ear off, right? He's like, I'm going to deliver you, Jesus, right? Somehow hits someone's ear. I don't even know how you do that without getting their shoulder and everything else. Just a bat. He's a fisherman, not a swordsman, right? <laughs> and he gets the ear off. Jesus says, permit this. And he heals the guy's ear. The very guys that are arresting him to take him to the cross. But see, Jesus understood that God's will was being done, amen? I believe in the Spirit. Paul had perfect peace that said, this is not what the Lord has for us, to run out in this moment. The Lord would desire for this moment to testify to this man, this Philippian jailer. Look what happens in verse 29 through 32. It says, Then the jailer called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. <laughs> this is a crazy turn of events. I thought, first time I ever read this, right? Not this week, please let me be clear, but at some point I read this for the first time. You're like, James hasn't read this before, he's surprised, right? But I always try to read this with fresh eyes. And I remember the first time I read this, I thought for sure, Cool, Paul and Silas getting out of here and everyone's going to be chaos and that jailer and the people that beat him, they're all going to die for this, right? That's how the Lord's going to vindicate this. <laughs> the Lord's so much better than me. <laughs> the Lord says, you know how I'm going to change this? I'm going to change the hearts of these people and I'm going to give them eternal life. <laughs> That's not usually my method of thinking, right? Someone oppresses me at work. It's not like, man, I better get them eternal life, right? That's not my first, I know I should, but that's not my first inclination, right? My first inclination is like, man, they're going to get theirs, right? Paul and Silas, they could have done that. But instead, they say, hey, we're all here. He comes running in. He brings a light in. Because remember, they're in this dark dungeon, right? And the guy falls down at their feet, trembling. Remember, they're all here, and he knows that now. I don't think he's as much afraid that they disappeared. I think this guy just put together. <laughs> These guys that have cast out a demon, who were beaten by me, saying worship and now are trying to preserve my life? This is terrifying. 
a hardened Roman soldier that's a jailer encountering two Jewish men that care for him, that love him. This is opposite than what's happened in the culture, amen? He says, this is crazy, not to mention a supernatural earthquake. That would be pretty crazy. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been in California when there's a big earthquake. That'll get you trembling a little bit, right? But I think you put all that stuff together. And in this case, I think he just says, look at simply. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> See, this is awesome because he couldn't deny all the signs and wonders that happened around him, right? Big old earthquake. Men that had sent a, a demonic spirit out of a girl. Worship to a God that seemed very real to these men, right? And then a love that would keep them there. He says, what, what can I do to be saved, he says to them. And I believe he saw all those things and he realized, your God is the true God. But I love this because without knowledge, he doesn't know who to worship. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You have to hear the word. M miracles, they could have had someone come in and say, oh, this is Apollo again that did this, right? But no, Paul says, we got to tell this man. And I love it because in one, like, one very simple sentence, like, I don't know, man, are we able to do this? Are we able to give the gist of the gospel in one sentence? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. <laughs> See, some commentators say, well, hey, you know, Paul kind of messed up here because he didn't talk about repentance at all, right? This man's trembling, laying at his feet saying, what can I do to be saved? He's repenting. <laughs> he understands that his life is not the way it's supposed to be, amen? Paul says, I got like maybe three seconds before everyone shows up and figures out what's happening here. He's probably thinking in panic mode to some extent. Peace of the Lord, but everyone else in panic mode probably. He says, here's, here's what you need to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We've talked about this for the last several weeks. This is the message that Paul preached. I hope we understand that, again, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. You believe upon who Jesus Christ is. Amen? You believe upon Him being Lord. That the God who sent Him is God. The God of the Bible. That everything that's here, that because you're a sinner... I won't even ask for a show of hands, but if you're in this room, you're a sinner. Sorry. But the reality is, me and you, we needed a Savior from our sins. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And it's only free to us because it costs Jesus everything. Amen? And so he says, you must believe on who Jesus is. And the word for believe in their language is much different than ours. Believe, we believe things without really having, you know, a lot of context sometimes. And maybe it doesn't affect the way we live when we believe certain things. Their word for believe in their language, it meant more when you believe something, you live like it. And see, what he's saying is believe on the Lord Jesus. It's implied in that, that when you believe something, you're going to walk it out. Amen? I believe in gravity. I don't jump off of buildings. Right? Real basic one. Right? So, it's like there's, there's a, a relationship in that. I believe that Jesus is Lord, therefore... My reasonable service is to live my life as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, right? Paul is saying, you must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's an interesting thing in here. He says, you and your household will be saved. Some people have created a doctrine that says, if a father of a household believes, automatically all his kids get in, like group coverage insurance, right? <laughs> That's not doctrinal, right? Um, we talked about this last week. A father's sins are on a father, not his child. And a child, vice versa, Right? Everyone has to make their own decision for Jesus Christ. But he, I believe he has a word of knowledge here. That as he stands outside, it says, right, that he brought them outside of the jail at this point. They're standing out here. I think it's in verse 30. It says they brought them out. And then they say, 
your whole household will be saved. So it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So they get to his house. They tell him, hey, not only will you believe and be saved, but if all of your household believes these things, they too can be saved. And this is an incredible message that all men, all women everywhere can be saved by believing upon Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's so cool because he says, they will be saved. What's the jailer do? You've got to come tell my family about this. <laughs> See, because again, they can't just hear my story and believe this. They've got to hear the word of God. This man is a newbie in the faith, right? He just put his faith in the Lord a minute ago. <laughs> he says, please come tell my family these things. And so they head to the house and he goes there and it's because everyone miss, must make their own decision. See, if, if they don't need to make their decision because they belong to the jailer, why go preach to them? They're in. It's automatic, right? That's not how it works, though. Everyone has to make their own decision for who Jesus is. Amen? John 3.36, Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It continues upon him. The wrath, the debt and wages and weight of your sin stay upon you until you believe for yourself in your heart who Jesus is and walk that out. Amen? Because again, belief. There's many people today. Watch the History Channel tonight, late hours. They believe Jesus lived. They think he's also like an alien or something, right? They're always confused on that network, history. I don't know how they did that. But the reality is so many people have opinions on who Jesus is. Unless it's the Jesus of the Bible, and unless you are going to walk this out... What is your belief truly in? And I'll tell you, with faith come works, amen? You're not saved by them, but they come out of your faith. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared good works for us to walk them out, because we're His workmanship, right? That we would be this beautiful poem that testify of who God is. And in this case, look at 33 and 34, we immediately see acts of repentance. It says, And the jailer took them the same hour of the night, and wash their stripes. That's their wounds, right? And immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. <laughs> this is not where I thought the earthquake was going. <laughs> you know? It's like, man, they're, they're going into jail, and they're like, all right, Lord, you're going to deliver us. You're going to get us out of here. It's going to be so great. We trust you. The earthquake comes. They don't run. They don't let the guy kill himself. They say, hey, we want to give you the gospel. Now we want to give it to your whole household? This is great love. You're going into the house of a Roman jailer. The guy, you could run from this guy. Maybe trick him and run away while you're on the way to his house, right? No. So the Lord has appointed this moment of oppression, this moment of trial, of suffering. It's for his glory, amen? amen. And when they get there, they, they, they preach to the family. The family believes in this action of a changed heart. The first thing we see here, bless you, the first thing we see here, again, in 30, was it 33, says that he washed their stripes. <laughs> the same guy that shackled their feet in terrible positions oppressing them now washes the wounds of these men. This is a new creation, amen? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Old things have passed away and all things have become new. This is a new creation right here. He's washing their stripes. He's caring for them. He, see, he views them at this point, I believe, as brothers in the Lord. He's just like, man, I'm so sorry I did this. You guys care for me and I just want to serve you. And he's clean, cleansing them. And then it says that him and his whole house, they were baptized. This is awesome, right? This speaks of water baptism here. 
And so the reality is they're doing exactly what Lydia did in Acts 16.15. When her and her apostle believed last week, they all said, let's be baptized because we obviously, A, we need cleansing, but more than that, we want to identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? These people are changed right here. And I love it because Paul and Silas, they're just fulfilling the Great Commission, the beginning of it, right? Go out to the ends of the earth, right? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded them, right? This is what they do and it's what we should be doing, amen? And in verse 34, I think it's interesting that it says that he set food before them. I think there's two things here. A desire to, again, take care of his prisoners who probably haven't eaten. <laughs> but also to break bread and fellowship with them. He says, man, I'm going to cleanse your wounds. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to edify you. I'm going to bless you. And now I just want to partake with you. And did you notice the key here in verse 34? It says, he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. This is important because the best fruit and act of repentance is rejoicing in the Lord. Amen? The joy that is now in our life. Man, we should have that joy. <laughs> We should be changed in all these actions. They're clear fruit of repentance, evidence of being a new creation. Let me tell you, a saving faith should be a changing faith. Amen? That's what we're talking about when we talk about belief. When you believe something, it's going to change you and the way that you live, the way that you act. These people are all different because of the gospel and the deliverance of Jesus Christ. Amen? So look at this last section here, 35 and 36. We now see finally the deliverance of Paul and Silas. It says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. So there's a command to release Paul and Silas here. And in verse 35, I guess, man, this is crazy to me. They're back in jail. <laughs> Paul and Silas are back in the prison. I guess they go back like willingly with the jailer. That's a pretty wild thing, right? Like you're trusting the Lord for sure at this point. You're going back to the very place. They go back here. I believe this is what commentators say, probably back in the shackles. Now, I don't think as inconvenient as before. The guy's probably much nicer to them this time. But remember, if the jailer doesn't go back with these prisoners, he's going to die, right? He has to go back. This is love for the jailer. They say, we're willing to go back and sit in that prison and trust the Lord with the outcome of our life. <laughs> Again, man, that's wild to me. Again, so many opportunities to run from this situation, but they didn't want the jailer's life to be in jeopardy. They cared for him. They loved him. And so they go back with him, trusting the Lord. And it says these officers in the Greek, the word for officers is harabduhas. That means rod bearers. The very guys that beat them with rods <laughs> comes to the guy that shackled them, basically, right? And says, hey, the magistrates, they said that you can now leave. That's, like, that's pretty miraculous in itself, no? Suddenly, they just have a heart change? Why? Why are you letting these guys go? Maybe they reviewed the charges and were like, nah, this doesn't really fit. You know, we beat these guys badly. All right, just let them go, and now they've learned their lesson, maybe. I don't know. Whatever the logic is, something changed. I believe the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Lord was moving. And I think it's great because they stayed in there just long enough to save the jailer's life, both physically and spiritually. They were there for this trial, appointed for this time. It makes me think of Esther 4.14, right? That you have been appointed to this time. Look at relief and deliverance will come for the Jews from another place if you don't step up into this. But you may have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Paul and Silas, 
Yes, you have your rights. Yes, you have ways. You could have escaped. You laid those things down to save the life of this Philippian jailer and his household because the Lord gave you the opportunity. I pray that we take advantage of those opportunities in our lives. And see, it's interesting here. When these guys come, I think it's funny because they think they're in control. <laughs> they show up, they're like, hey, you can go now. They've been out all night. <laughs> They've been freed by a supernatural earthquake and saving people. They're preaching the gospel in their city. It's like, dude, we're winning this war, dude. You don't even know. The enemy always thinks he's in so much control, but I love this so much, right? It's just, it's so funny here. They show up, they're like, yeah, you can go now, but depart in peace. In other words, they're like, hey, we're in control. You're going to go on our terms. Get out of here and be quiet. It's kind of how they tell them, okay? Look at Paul's response, 37 through 39. It says, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. <laughs> and the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. <laughs> how the turned tables. No, I'm just kidding. How the, how the tables have turned, right? It's so funny. Here are these guys. <laughs> and it seemed like they were like under the hand of the enemy, right? The enemy was in control everywhere here. And then all of a sudden, there's this update. Hey, you guys know you've beaten some Roman citizens, right? <laughs> Let me explain what this looks like. Rome, it was unlawful for Rome to scourge a Roman citizen. Especially, you just didn't do that. We talked about crucifixion at one point, right? Those things were reserved for other kinds of people. You had to do something very, very gnarly. And I'll tell you, if you got such a curse, you had to go through a trial. There was no trial in this case, right? They got dragged, and they got beaten, and they got thrown in jail. They assumed by the way that they looked that they were Jews. See, this is interesting. Paul and every Roman carried an identification with them. This is a thing. Now, I don't think like a laminated driver's license, but they carried some kind of documentation on their person that proved that they were Roman citizens. That's noted in history. But can I tell you another thing? You didn't lie about this, because if it found out that you weren't a Roman citizen when you said you were, you were killed for it. Punishable by death. Because again, Romans are better than everyone, right? They didn't want imitators. When they say, hey, go tell those guys, they just broke all the rules of Rome by beating us Roman citizens. Did you see it? It said they were afraid. These guys go, oh my gosh, we are going to get killed by Rome for this. <laughs> if this gets found out, we're going to lose our jobs. We're going to lose our position. We're going to lose everything that we have. We didn't give them a hearing. Remember Acts 22:28. Paul says he was born a Roman citizen. We know that's a fact. He's not just playing them here. <laughs> So some people say, Paul, why wouldn't you just say that from the get-go? You could have avoided this whole thing if you just held on to your rights. It's funny, haven't we talked about liberties the last few days? Laying down your rights for the Lord's honor, <laughs> for His glory. Yes, he could have, I don't know, it was probably chaotic. Maybe he didn't have time to get the paper out and to tell everyone. Maybe they wouldn't have even heard him. But some commentators say, why didn't he say this from the get-go? I think there's two reasons. I believe, first of all, the yielding to the Spirit. There are times when, yes, you have the right, but the Spirit says, you don't need to exercise that right right now. If you lay this down, I'll be glorified in this thing. But secondly, I think maybe Paul's smarter than us. Maybe Paul says, man, when these guys find out they've beat a Roman citizen, they're going to want nothing to do with me or my church in Philippi, and they'll leave us alone. Like a good shepherd, he thought, man, this will actually benefit the whole body. If I and these things come out and they realize they messed up, they'll just keep their hands off us. Now, I think Paul's playing with all that, but at the end of the day, I think the Holy Spirit led him led him to not have the opportunity to claim these things. 
But in this instance, I love it. These people, they're terrified, and it's so cool. I'm sorry. When the Lord vindicates, right? When He brings vindication to His people, Psalm 43.1 says, Vindicate me, O God, and please, please my cause, I'm sorry, plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. The oppressor that seems so mighty, that seems so strong in this story. All of a sudden, he's a whimpering little beggar. <laughs> this is what happens when Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Amen? Amen. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The world thinks they're in control. The enemy, the prince of the power of the air, thinks he has it all. That day is coming. Amen? All I have to do is faithfully trust the Lord, walk in His things. The Lord will give me opportunities to glorify Him. It may come through suffering. It may come through trial. It may come through laying down liberties and rights, right? Laying down those things. But at the end of the day, the Lord be glorified. Amen? And it's, it says they brought Him out in verse 39. They got Him out and they said, please don't, like, just leave silently. <laughs> They're begging. The very guys they beat the day before. Man, they knew they were in such great trouble. And I love it. Paul says, look, we're going to do this thing on our terms. Look at verse 40. It says, So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. That's in the city. He didn't leave the city immediately. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. See, this is so cool, because look at Paul says, look, I got, I got a ministry to do here. <laughs> as much as you want me just to hit the ground and leave right now, and I bet there was a part of Paul that maybe thought, that would probably be wise to get out of here. I don't want to go back in the jail, right? But he says, no, I'm going to go back and see my people, because this is why I came. What did he come for? To strengthen and encourage the brethren. And this is incredible to me, because everything that Paul has done so far is completely selfless. <laughs> If I'm Paul, get me out of town. Take me back to Tarsus or something. Get me away from here. I want to go back home, right? Take me back to the church at Antioch. He says, I'm going to come. And think about the church that's there for a minute. Can we talk about the church at Philippi? So far, we have Lydia, a lady that sold purple, so was very successful and gave her life to the Lord the week before in our text, right? A formerly possessed girl, <laughs> Right? I gotta believe she came to faith in the Lord when she was delivered from that. That's my assumption. I believe that's the assumption of the text, right? And then we have a jailer and his household, a Roman guy, a Roman soldier and his people, and a couple ladies that used to pray by the riverside. That's the church. I'll tell you, Paul's like, man, these are my people, though. This is the flock the Lord has given me. I'm gonna pour into them at the risk of my own life. This is the heart of Jesus, amen? Jesus says, I will come for the lost. I will come for the lost sheep of Israel. I have come for the sick. I have come for the sinner. I have not come to call those who are healthy and well and righteous. I have come to call the sinner to repentance. Amen? And these people have repented. They put their faith in the Lord. And Paul says, man, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to strengthen them. But the last note on this in verse 40, it says, when they had strengthened the brethren, I'm sorry, seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Remember we talked last week how Luke was using the word we? He began joining the party of Paul back in Troas and he was traveling with them. Well, at this point, it says they moved on. The belief is we have this brand new church with all these young new believers from really crazy wild backgrounds. It's believed that Luke, the doctor, he stays there. The Gentile stays and ministers to this church. He stays there because it doesn't become we again until Acts 25, 6. So he's staying there. I believe they said, man, we can't just assume that because they said the sinner's prayer because they got baptized that this is good. Someone has to strengthen them, encourage them, lead them, and guide them. Amen? 
Paul's going to continue on his journey, on his missionary journey, but Luke stays there. And I just think it's funny. You've got to wonder if Luke's like, really, man? Like, this is what you <laughs> This group here, right? Like, man, I'm a doctor. No. He was a new creation. He said, man, whatever the Lord gives to me, I want to I take those opportunities. I want to glorify God in it. Amen? This would be a really awesome church body, I think. <laughs> Talk about experiences. So various, but one common thing delivered in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys. I look around this room. There's all kinds, again, there's different races, ethnicities, social, economical, different stories of how we got here, education levels, all these different things. We have one thing in common. It's Jesus Christ. And it's the most important thing to have in common. Because at the end of the day, it's the only thing that matters is that you belong to Jesus Christ. You must put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? You have to believe upon Him. It says, Jesus Himself, the Jesus that everyone wants to mention His words when they're benefiting Him, He says, unless you believe on Me, your sins are still on you. The same Jesus spoke of a literal hell in Matthew 25, 41, 25, 46, but He said, you don't have to go there. I've died in your place. Believe upon Me. Amen? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. If you haven't put your trust in the Lord, today is the day. And if you have, endure the things that you're in for His glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And Lord, right now, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that already trust in you. I pray that you would just bless them in the season that they're in, giving them that double portion of your spirit, Lord, to the point of overflow. Lord, that they would go out and that they would testify, that the world would see them worshiping you and praising you in the, in the prison, in the valley, Lord. But Father, that you would come through. And someday, sometimes they're going to be supernatural, wild events. Sometimes they're really practical things, Lord, subtle things. Whatever they are, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in them, Lord. And Father, I pray right now for anyone in this room. Right now, if you're here and you don't believe upon Jesus Christ, you haven't heard the gospel before today, I'll tell you. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die, die for all of the sins of mankind, but you must put your faith and trust in Him to believe it and to walk it out. And right now, you can begin that relationship. Begin it with this prayer right where you sit in the silence of your heart. You would say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.